to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. This is Dr. David Proden, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Hi, this is Dr. David Proden, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. Say we've had a little bit of a time off here with the show. Some vacations for the Safety Docs and family birthdays. A trip to Lambeau Field for um, the Combine for training camp. And then... I had some blue screen issues going on with the studio here, with the computer system. Had to get that worked out, but glad to be back and back in a big way with my guest today, Charles Mack. Let me tell you a little bit about Charles and then I'm going to have him share his interest. Um, He was a field support analyst with U.S. Steel, recently left that position for a similar role with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, one of the best in the country. What we're gonna talk about today is U.S. Steel's safety culture, uh, specific to like the research center, um, very safe. You know, we see these signs, um, have not had an accident for 21 days or something like that, but remarkable um, streak at U.S. Steel and kind of the culture that went with that in that research center. And then we're going to also address economic safety. Talk about economic safety, personal economic safety, making yourself resilient by adding certifications, um, side hustles, things like that. When I mean side hustles, side side gigs, side jobs, things that if um, the economy changes, you have more income streams to rely upon, but also it makes you more of an attractive candidate for positions. Obviously, with Charles um, going from his position at U.S. Steel to the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, some of the certifications that he obtained um, definitely contributed to that. And keeping a low profile in social media with someone that has to uh, work Um, with people on a very regular basis as part of his job. Um, Charles is going to talk about that. We're going to explore that also. We've both been off Facebook for a number of years and and the importance of understanding what happens when you go on social media, especially professionally, um, what that can mean for you. And then finally, we're going to talk about transitioning employers. Uh, leaving one job and going to another job, what that looks like when there are things at play, such as um, a like non-disclosure agreement, meaning I can't take anything from the company that I'm working at now um, with me to the, the next company in sharing of proprietary information. And just kind of being aware of that, because one thing I see in expert witness uh, work is that's becoming more prevalent 
And sometimes people aren't even aware that they've entered into these agreements because they've been working somewhere for 10 or 15 years and they leave and maybe they take a PowerPoint or a presentation with them somewhere else. And suddenly, um, you know, it, it creates a real, a real problem. So, and I'm, I have an interesting story to share about Lambeau Field at some point, but welcome right now, Charles Mack to the Safety Doc Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's hear about you um, and living in the Pittsburgh area and the work that you've, you've done and your interest in um, safety overall, if you can help us to understand that. Well, of course, and of course, and I'm not the only one that uh, has been traveling lately. Uh, I just got back yesterday from uh, the Flight 93 Memorial since um, Shanksville, Pennsylvania is only about, about a two-hour drive away. Um, everybody I knew mag- magically said, hey, I'm leaving town for the week. I'm like, what am I doing here? I got to go. Right. Um, so uh, it was a uh, also, it was a uh, moving trip. It was only a day, but uh, I won't forget it. Um, where they have you know, basically turn the whole Flight 93 um, crash site into a memorial. It's acres upon acres. It's massive. Um, so, again, it was something I needed to get out to. So uh, I wanted something close to home, yet away from another city. It was either there or Cleveland. So where am I going to go? Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm just getting back. Um, again, uh, this is uh, this is an odd time for me. I've never had to be in this situation before, uh, switching jobs while having one. Um, I know every job I've had, I've had to be out of work and finding it. Right. It is nice to, uh, it is nice to just, have that comfort zone, so to speak. Um, again, I do uh, IT support work. Uh, I basically work um, doing desk side support anytime someone has an IT related issue. Uh, the help desk can't fix it. They send us out to uh, your location and uh, resolve the issue for you. So um, it is an interesting position because you see a lot of different departments within a company. Um, you're not just um, in accounting, you're not in IT, you're not in engineering, so to speak. Uh, you get to see the company almost as a whole as to what it does, especially on the business side, since a lot of my customers are business users, or they were um, at US still, like business users, engineers, and and even accountants. So uh, uh, again, you get to see a little bit of everything, you know, on the tech side, um, you get begged for access all the time and you got to be professional and say, uh, that doesn't, uh, comply with our, uh, security policy. I can't give it to you. They'll try every trick in a book. But, uh, uh, again, we are kind of like the face of it within companies. So that's what I do for a living, uh, for my nine to five, which we'll be talking a lot about. So one thing we've talked about, um, beforehand was U.S. Steel and kind of a remarkable um, safety culture specific to like this this research center, um, which you identified as being separate than the actual manufacturing center. But still, you know, the research center going on something like 10 years of um, not having a safety, a significant safety event. Um, so tell me, tell me about that, and was there, you know, regular training that was going on, or what was the safety culture? Um, you know, people encouraged to submit ideas if you know 
they don't feel something is safe or if, you, if you're going around and, and you're seeing something or whatever it's like you know we want you to bring this to our attention regular in services um because you know to me this is in any environment this is pretty rare to have um this level of continuous safety so so what do you what from your perspective made that happen uh, again, it's it's not a manufacturing environment, even though manufacturing is still happens there. Um, it, it is a more professional environment. I think the people, by their nature, as scientists and you know engineers and research technicians, they have that that mental focus on everything has to be right. Um, it, you know, think about it as a big lab. You got to have the right conditions to make what you want. Um, and safety kind of was, in my opinion, kind of a continuation of that mindset. Um, I remember my first day, uh, I had to support there. Um, like I hated all kind of PPE. Um, they want to make sure whatever your environment is, is as safe as possible. And the fact that it is such a small scale, I think it was more controllable, um, Every month we would uh, we would get together. The entire building would have monthly safety meetings that I would uh, support. There would be uh, we get stats from you know other locations in the companies and other plants and and we would see what kind of OSHA incident rates they have. Now again, you're 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 in the you're in the involvement of large scale industrial production at that point. So um, yeah, again, the environment was different. I think the people were different and just. Mentally, how everybody is there, it, it just it, it contributed to that ten uh, year run. Mind you, I'll, I've only, I'm only a year in on that, so uh, yeah, everybody before me had a part to play. And again, it's more of like the, I guess, the scientific method version of uh, of safety, uh, just because that's that's the that's what they do day in and day out. So you talked about the monthly meetings. So tell me more about what I mean, what the monthly meeting would be like. Um, you know what they what they would cover, who would who would talk, what they would present. Did they also talk about you know this happened in another industry, so we have to be aware of it, so you know it doesn't happen here? Because I I'm just honestly not that familiar with um, this being a regular practice in a lot of industries. Um, so I, again, I'm, right. I'm, I'm I'm pretty impressed by this. So if you can just, you know, walk through what was happening during these these meetings. Um, again, uh, like every month, the, the entire building, there would probably be 80 to 100 uh, people would get together. And, you know, the monthly safety meeting, we would, get, we would go over like the previous month's safety uh, metrics uh, for, the, for the company, you know, how various locations are doing in terms of injuries, days away, uh, all the metrics you're probably familiar with uh, in terms of, OSHA, OSHA requirements, OSHA uh, rules and regulations. Um, and then, you know, each month we would, uh, we would just talk about certain things. Uh, this month, uh, it's been hot here um, recently. And uh, a big thing is, um, you know, how to stay cool was this month, was the prior month's uh, little, uh, little tip, little video. We watch a video. Um, they have a bunch of training videos. The safety people at U.S. still do great work um, getting that material together. So we would just review the material. Um, any kind of incident that would happen in a plant that was serious, we would discuss it. 
um, whether it be, you know, major injury, you know, somewhere, um, they would go over what happened, uh, what was wrong in the situation, what should have been corrected in the situation, how it was corrected. Uh, so an incident wouldn't, wouldn't happen again. Uh, basically every month we, we review all this and that was just of a safety meeting. It was, uh, it was broad, but yet, you know, uh, everybody could take away from it. So you say, like, the whole department was there? Like, the whole building was there? Like, the whole building. It doesn't matter. The U.S. still, they're always, um, you know, they always talk about safety now. You can say, oh, they talk about and, and whatever. No, they they are serious about, uh, you know, safety. There's a lot of uh, OSHA stuff out there that um, they need to comply with. So what you're talking about um, reminds me of what's called in the military after action reports. And also, um, you know, if there's like a vehicle accident or something like that and fire and police respond and stuff like that, they'll do an after action report, which you're probably familiar with, Charles. Um, But usually those are shared pretty closely to just like the people involved. So when you're talking about this being um, shared with a large number of people, I mean, I I think that's incredible um, because too often people who are not directly involved um, in these incidents aren't made aware of the instance and then also um, as you said what what happened why it happened and what was done to correct it you know it just seems to be like the 12 people that might have been involved in it um, kind of get the debriefing on that and everyone else is wondering a little bit like what happened or or things like that so um, so I think I, I think that's awesome that is something I stress um, I also work as a critical instant debriefer for the sheriff's department. When I say work, it's volunteer work. Um, but we go over more or less, you know, significant or sentinel events might be an accident on the interstate where, you know, some people were killed and, and then the response to that and debriefing through how, you know, that was handled and, and things, um, relative to what might change. And also just the, the well-being of people. So when you talk about this, I mean, it, it conveys that U.S. Steel places a premium on safety because if I if I'm going to this, um, it's a it's prioritized. U.S. Steel is like you're you're going to this. We want you to hear this. We want you to participate in this. So it's that whole thing of priority prioritization for safety. Um, so let's any anything you want to add to that? I just I, I'm I'm really impressed by that. Uh, again, uh, I'm sure I'll get the whole safety spiel at uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, um, which has this whole, which has a whole other menu of safety-related um, items. I mean, you're you're going from heavy industry, which has a whole bunch of potential pitfalls and perils, to you know the healthcare industry. So you go from the industry side and the medical side. There's still safety precautions you have to take um, within industries. Uh, again. Um, I just wanted to focus on the steel uh, side of things. That's where I'm coming from. But I'm sure you're going to get your whole safety-related um, items uh, addressed uh, in the healthcare sector also. And when I work with uh, schools, for example, schools don't seem to yet be up to speed with what you've just described. Um, and slowly getting there, but again, that that's an area where ed- education, I think, is behind um, – what the environment that you just described. So one of the things um, that I've been really Im- Im- impressed um, in learning more about you, Charles, is the 
way that you approached um, what, I, what I'm going to call economic safety, personal economic safety. And this is something I've, I've done to some extent. And I think a lot of people um, that want to be resilient in, in whatever the economy throws at them and also to create increased marketability, I call it, sec, you know, this economic safety factor. Um, you chose to pursue certifications. Um, I'm not sure if you, you know, did any, I mean, for a better term, I call them side hustles, but it, you know, be like, you know, working some part-time, you know, stuff that might be related to your, your job, um, your, you know, your skill set. But tell me about how you decided, you know, I want to get more certifications. Here are the certifications I want to get. Here's the doors I want to have potentially open up for me in the future. Um, because, you know, you took that upon yourself to do that. So what, what were the things that started to trend in your mind of saying, yeah, I really need to do this. Um, and then how did you decide like what to do? Like this is, th- these are the certifications I want. Uh, don't go to grad school unless you have a really good reason to go. Um, uh, the reason I say this was uh, I was accepted a number of years ago at uh, George Washington University in uh, Washington, D.C. for a master's program. And it was a management program. But luckily, uh, the situation saved me from uh, dropping a good 60 grand on a grad school. And I was able to apply that money elsewhere. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, especially, you know, the field I'm in in IT, um, get your industry certs, whether it be, uh, in my case, uh I got my Microsoft certs, my uh, Microsoft Certified Professional uh, cert, and my MCSA certification. Um, you have in different IT industries, you can get your CCNA, uh, you can get your uh, Certified Ethical Hacker certification, depending on what in IT you want to go for. Um, companies more and more recognizing industry certs rather than, say, education industry certs, say, hey, this this guy understands the environment we're going to be working in, I think he has a better chance than someone that say has a master's degree in IT management, for example. Okay. So how did you pick those up? Was it part through the company or was it on your own? I mean, were you doing this at night? Did you talk to, you know, other people and they were making these recommendations or... Uh, uh, get your company to pay for it if they can. If you yeah. can, um, I was lucky. My company paid for me to uh, get my Microsoft certification, and I thank them by uh, you know, being plucked to somewhere else. But um, uh, if if wherever you're working, your employer, um, if they offer any kind of compensation or paid training, or they want to send you to you know to a boot camp or a uh, or you know other educational opportunities, if they want to pay for it and you want to put the time in, I would go for. it. Okay, so how did it work for you? Like exactly? Um, again, like we, uh, our team got pushed. Everybody our, on our, um, you know, support team got pushed. Uh, you got to get certified in something this year. So um, again, given what I do, I went for the uh, Microsoft certifications. I'm not in uh, networking or anything. Uh, I am a desk size support, and the Microsoft certifications fit my skill set and what I need. Um, Skill-wise, moving forward in terms of supporting end users, essentially. Um, again, um, they pushed us. That was the direction I took. Um, other of my teammates got pushed to say certified ethical hacker or your uh, or your Cisco CCNA. If you want to go the networking route, 
Um, again, it was it was it's, it's where you see yourself. I, I as much as I hate getting asked this question in five years, how, you know, what are your springboards to get there? Right. And those are the springboards you know I took in terms of what I want to do in my career. So, um, any side any side hustles? Any anything that um, you know you you did that was was tech related? Um, even even hobby that was tech related, you know, did you get a drone, start to lo- learn some drone stuff? I mean, I, I, I've I, I'm just curious. What, what were what were some side things, um, and, and did you make money off of those? Oh yeah, um, I um, you know my side hustle was I sell sports ball memorabilia. Okay. Um, um, and it was just a hobby I had, and I was able to, thanks to the wonders of e-commerce, you know, just make a little eBay site, uh, sell my wares online. It's a physical product, um, and it earned me money on the side. And, and hey, when I was out of work, I didn't take unemployment. You know, I just uh, I hustled my way through paying my bills through the uh, through the side business, uh, you know, selling uh, things on eBay. So. Um, then again, I, you know, I, I think this is how it, you know if people were raised a certain way. It seems like everybody in my family has a nine to five and some sort of side hustle doing something, um, <laughs> whether it be cutting a hair, managing a you know, bowling alley in terms of my family. Everybody was doing something on the side. I think it was just a part of my family's culture and how we were raised, too. So you're always working, trying to make a buck. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast. With the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. I think that's something... um which is critical today because, uh, you know, some people that you and I both know, um, Aaron Clary, for example, you know, for a number of years, Aaron um, taught ballroom dancing on the side. I think still teaches some college courses in finance on the side, but um, writes, you know, books and, and things like that. But, but had these, these, these side hustles um, going on. Personally, um, I remember being maybe 12 years old. Well, I mean, when I first started to kind of work, we, we lived a block away from a concrete factory, and my brother had worked there um, part-time, like in, in high school and college, and they hired me to um, stuff styrofoam into cinder blocks to insulate them for, you know, for construction. But I think I was only 12 at the time, and, and I don't know what the work permit scenario was back then if you could work 15 20 hours a week but i mean i was always doing those things but then eventually um once i got into um my my profession i started to teach um 
a lot of college classes. So I would I would write classes. I would propose them to universities, and they would take me up. You know, for the most case, one university I've been with for um, now I think almost fifteen years, and I've taught probably like a hundred courses for them, um, all in adjunct status, but like graduate courses. So it's really um, it, it's it's been terrific because uh, you know it's not an income that I depend on, but it's a way for me to always sharpen my skill set because I'm always having to stay current with what's in the field. Like right now, I'm going to be teaching more of a law class. I'm not a lawyer, but um, because of the expert witness work I do, um, they asked if I would teach this class, which was more centered on like law for school superintendents um, in the fall. So that's a class I'm actually building right now and um, putting that together through different research that I do. I also um, started to, uh, I've signed up with an expert witness um, company. They they had approached me. I was on PBS a couple of years ago doing some safety stuff. And and they said, you know, we get approached with cases where they want either a consult on, you know, what to do in certain things or go all the way to court, you know, do an expert witness report, testify, things like that. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, you know, maybe. So Um, the funny part there was when I got my first offer, uh, the lawyer was saying, well, what do you want for a retainer and and all of these different terms? And I hadn't researched it that far out. (laughs) So, So I'm having to kind of play it cool in the moment and be like, well, you know, I said, I really got to learn more about the case before I put together what my specific fees are. I'm just buying myself time. And then like that night I'm going on like searching for all the different samples and kind of came up with where I felt my range was, which was low. Actually. I remember I got done with the case and the lawyer was like, you really did a lot for like a little amount of money. I'm like, okay, I won't make that mistake again. Um, but, uh, so yeah, had, had that going in and also consult, um, with a company in California on product development for threat reporting and just got done with the contract, kind of do that year by year. And I have a lot of, a lot of flexibility in that because I, I do some professional development for this company and really from the legally like defensible perspective of making sure that their clients are doing what they need to do for professional development, that they're documenting that they have an induction process when people come in and out um, and, and citing all of that. And I kind of like to do that stuff. So, but these are all things that get done, um, as you know, with, with side things, you know, th- these are at night, you know, this is, <laughs> this is nine o'clock. This is midnight. This might be on a weekend or something right. like that. Um, but it's one of those things which has created, um, a lot of opportunities for me. I mean, my career is definitely in the later stages. Um, and I think, you know, between, you know, you and I, I'm probably, what, you know, 10, 12 years older than you are. But uh, it definitely, it helped me pay my house off early, which was, was fantastic. And oh, that's, that's, that's a big one. Uh, I know mine's paid off. Uh, I'm in my uh, mid to late thirties. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think if, if you get to be our age and you, uh, again, always have money coming in is the big takeaway of all, uh, everything you do on the side and my little side deal. Um, again, just, just keep that money in. And, um, again, the, the things that, you know, I could, you know, Clary talks about ad nauseum, uh, 
you know, no debt, keep your bills low, have some sort of income coming in. Um, in my case, um, I actually took my side hustle and lived off it for a couple of years. I got, I was, I ended up being laid off. This is probably about five years ago. I think I, I got to the point where Claire, I'm like, forget corporate America. I'm doing my own thing. I'm done. Um, and it was able to, uh, provide me a living for a couple of years until, um, you know, I needed, uh, I needed an actual income, uh, getting back into the, uh, corporate side of things. But, uh, again, always keep some sort of income coming in. Um, it can only help you now, even if it's a little extra money you can put toward the mortgage or, uh, whatever debts you have, get those paid down. Uh, again, uh, having a house paid off is the greatest feeling ever. So, uh, Oh, it is, it is. So yeah, I, I remember, um, and that was the goal, you know, when, when I was, was doing this, I was putting that money, um, into a different account and then I would just transfer it over to make additional mortgage payments. And, um, there were some really good years. I mean, because the university actually had like a staff member quit like at the start of the year. And then they said, would you take on this extra load? So I was almost like doing a full-time university gig plus like my regular job. But I mean, they weren't overlapping. It was like weekends or, you know, teaching at night and stuff like that. Um, but I remember, you know, being able then to pay that off and have that extra um, money every month, you know, which then helped me to go uh, more aggressively into retiring early. So, I mean, I'm 46 and we've talked about retirement. Um, so it'll either be it'll, next year or the year after retirement. And then I'll continue more on the university side in my consulting, which will get us by um, fine because I mean, we don't have the debts and the things are paid off. Right. Um, but it's, so when you took your, you know, your IT skills and it sounds like, you know, you developed your website and then you also brought marketing into that. And so it probably honed your marketing skills uh, significantly. You know, I'm, I'm guessing once you, once you built your website and once you were selling your sports memorabilia. Uh, the market is, uh, um, I actually, uh, that's why I still use eBay. Um, you have a built-in market of 100 million users worldwide. Um, if you have a market that big, the marketing takes care of itself. I never really, you know, ran ad campaigns. And um, again, if you do so on eBay, you have a reputation. Um, you know, you have your your feedback. So you go on eBay. Hey, someone has 100 percent feedback. So right. your feedback of what you sell give you your own, you know, promotion, so to speak, in marketing. Um, again, what you put out there. You know, if it gets people attention, they'll talk about it. Yeah, that's so true. That's one of the things I think is a big advantage um, today, you know, for for a, someone's personal reputation. For example, on eBay, I just bought a keyboard off of eBay. Um, but you look at the feedback of somebody and also on Amazon, although Amazon's not quite as as tight with that because you can have right. you know, different vendors. But, um, but you can get you know, so many reviews of products and reviews of personal services and make a really informed decision. And I think it, it, it forces people to stay on their A game um, also to making sure that, you know, they're shipping on time, that whatever they're putting together, they're describing accurately, that they're answering questions, and then people can count on them. As you said, they, they um, th that happens. I mean, like for some of the work I do, the expert witness work, um, there's a whole side where, people that contact the agency 
can see the things that I've done and the the ratings from people that I've worked on and things like that too. So I mean, it's very strong there that you have to have a um, you know much fidelity with your reputation. Any published works that you do, you make sure you get into them so those are available um, to the you know prospective clients and things like that too. Um, I so yeah, I I really. I really like what you what you've talked about is as far as um, seeking the certifications, um, honing different skills such as marketing, and let's let's move this into a little bit of a different area. So we've been talking eBay, and I'm going to branch this into social media. Um, you're not on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but no, not at all. Um, it's funny because sometimes people will say like, I, I couldn't find you on Facebook. Are you going under like a different name or like a different, I'm like, dude, like I'm not on Facebook now. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. and, and, um, and it's one of those things where actually, um, I have a, a book that's due to my editor on September 10th and my publisher actually on September 10th. And one of the things we've kind of talked about is the, my social media presence because it's, it's out there in Twitter and I have the website um, and outside of that though, and, and the podcast, you know, which are, which are pretty substantial, but I don't have Facebook. And one thing they ask, you know, do you have Facebook and things like that? And I said, well, no, and I'm not, I'm not going to get it. Um, but tell me about like your reason to get off Facebook and then also maybe professionally um, how it impacted you both in a positive and if there was a negative way for that, but um, how, how did you come to that, that point of like, I'm gone, I'm off of Facebook? Um, well, uh, I'll tell you what, with the average person in social media is a big time suck. Uh, how many hours a day people will get stuck on the Facebook or they are always checking that or the Instagram or Snapchat or, or whatever, you know, whatever social media you have. Um, I saw it A as a time sink and B, I got sick of seeing every little thing everybody I know that ever did um, on Facebook when you get your feed and you know, you start to uh, see what everybody's doing and they like to post, hey, look what I have for breakfast this morning, for example. Um, like I don't care, you know. Uh, I don't need to know every money detail of your life. And also, um, again, uh, with the social media, uh, you're looking for a job, employers check that kind of stuff. You don't want to have certain things if, if they're controversial or, um, or let's say, um, unprofessional. Um, you don't want that kind of business being out there for the world to see. Henceforth, you know, any employer, um, since they are now doing their due diligence and, um, and seeing what you do online, um, I think a lower profile you have, the better, unless uh, you, you have someone in the public like you or your Clary, for example. Um, if you want to be public facing, yes, you're going to have to have those um, those outlets. But uh, if you're the average person, just um, you, I'm never on Twitter. Maybe I, I post every week, I guess. And I also have LinkedIn. That's my social media platform. But again, LinkedIn is more for the professional side. Um, you want to link with people that way. But again, um, you keep a low profile, you know, on your social media. If, if you're just the average person, um, you don't want certain things getting out there, and you're just mitigating that risk. I think. So, um, anytime at work, did this ever come up um, from from superiors? 
or anytime you know they they approached you you know being in it and saying hey like you know we, we want you to talk to others about first of all um yeah social social media representing you know the themselves while on company time and not on company time and and some of these things did that ever did that ever come up um, usually in the corporate communications, everybody has a social media use policy nowadays. Don't trash a company, for example. Um, but, um, they don't, um, they don't really dive into the personal aspect, um, of, of, of how you live your life. If you put everything out there, it's out there for people to search. Um, and again, you know, companies could look at negative things and say, Hey, look, um, Joe in accounting is, you know, doing all this wild stuff and he's posting on Facebook. How is that reflecting on us as a company? So you have to be aware of that also. It's not just you um, and your personal reputation. When you work for somewhere, I know it's cliche, but you represent that place you work. So, uh, you know, try to minimize that crossover between your personal and professional life. I had um, had some banking I was going to do about six months ago. And... um, the so I, I I called the bank, um, and the banker I was was well the quote unquote banker I was talking with, um, she didn't seem to have all of the answers I needed, which seemed pretty basic for what a banker should know. You know, I've, I've worked. That's one thing too is you know I've I've always spent since little on you know maybe two three weeks always like working to know more about my finances and, you know, the various interest rates and bond rates and bond trends and stuff, just to educate that because, you know, finance is such a big part of a person's life. I mean, um, but so this person, you know, was, it was just throwing up some red flags, like they didn't quite have it all down. And I was double checking some things that they were telling me. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if this is totally right. And it was going to be, you know, a, pretty sizable investment. I mean, not like anything that would, (laughs) you know, make them be like, oh my goodness. But um, so I went and I typed this person's name in plus the name of the bank because I couldn't find like a uh, email address on the bank website for this, this person. So I just typed the name in the bank and I was trying to just learn a little more, like what's their history, like where they go to college or what have they done and uh, it comes up with their Facebook page, and it lists that they work at this bank. So I'm like, this oh is the right person. And this employee is holding a beer in the picture, like at some party, in totally this inappropriate pose. And then has all of these like sites that are liked that um, you know are all. If the company knew it, I mean, they would flip out. And a substantial, oh, huge company. And um, and I could also see that that this person had switched this was like the third job in three years so right then i was like boom you're done like i'm i need someone who is vested in what they're they're doing and serious and has done this as a profession and then also someone that obviously has the the sense to know that you can't post this um and and represent yourself and put right underneath who you're employed by as this as this company so that that just floored me um I've also, so to, to I, I, I experienced kind of the same thing on uh, Facebook. I, I got tired of, of the time 
that it was taking. And then um, it was, yeah. So let me see. It was it was the time. Um, and then I, I really felt I was giving out too much information. And then it, it and not in the, it, I didn't care to know, I guess, like you, what someone was eating for lunch. And it's ironic you say that because we were, when we were on vacation, my wife pointed out somebody taking a picture of like a plate of food that they had been served at a nicer restaurant we were at. And she's like, look what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, that'll be on social media, like in 10 yep. seconds. And I'm like, this, this is just crazy. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 and I obviously think it's, it's healthier um, to not have that external validation um, happening. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, a while ago, and it was with so, uh, someone who was an engineer in the social media field. Right. And he said that the change was more and more push notifications, like, hey, you know, this is happening. Your friend just posted, or you haven't been on like in, you know, 12 hours or something, and you need to check what's happening. But this was all done with um, also a group of like psychologists, psychologists and psychiatrists to to figure out how to basically addict people. So it went from this platform of of I guess trying to connect people. Although I don't know if that was ever the purpose. Is really what probably just harvesting data, and, but um, probably to, to really to really addicting purposely addicting people and and addicting kids into this in their various. Um, format. So um, I'm with you there, and I'm going to 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 um, also talk about. Um, I was at Green Bay Packer training camp on Monday. Yep, it's that time of the year. So it is that time of the year, and I had a, a couple of friends who played in the NFL, and actually one I was going to have on the show, but he just had the their fifth child. And he left the, he had retired from the team and he's left the team to, to take on another job. So it's actually not a good time to, to bring him into the show right now. But one of the things we talked about, um, for example, social media and all of that was, uh, I asked him, I said, and I asked another friend of mine, um, who, who also made the leap, um, into the NFL, was there any type of induction process that they tell you, like, you know, don't post on social media, like where you're going, where you're at. And, um, do they tell you about the risk to your family and all of these things and people trying to, to, you know, obviously, you know, claim things, you know, Hey, I slipped on your sidewalk at Halloween or something like that. Um, and, and they said, no, um, that that didn't happen at all. Like they came in and unless it was their agent telling them, mostly the agent would say, listen, you're a target now. And mostly too, like your family, your parents are a target. Like anyone could just, you know, file a lawsuit against them because they're going to think it's, it's, if it's, you know, five, $10,000, they'll just settle it to, they have the, the money through you. So his, um, in these cases, they were told to get, um, umbrella policies, liability policies for this whole thing of, yeah, being hurt on your property or if you are in an accident or something and they find out that your son is in the NFL. Um, so he was talking about that, but it surprised the one of my, my friends, but all of them were kind of saying, you know, no, like no one ever went through that with us. Um, and this, so these guys have been out of the league for maybe like five to eight years. And, um, 
But one of them said that the new players coming in, that definitely is like they sit them down and they say, yeah, like, you know, don't put your tracker on social media, you know, the GPS so people know where you're at, know, know where you're at, whatever you're posting, you know, represents the organization um, and, and try not to get into these, you know, Twitter wars or, or you know, things in the, in the moment that you're posting. Um, also, there was a way to that they, if they were in pitchers, someone comes up to them, especially if you're in the NCAA, you know, like a division one, someone comes up to you and takes your picture. Um, one of my friends who played at Wisconsin, um, football at Wisconsin said that they were instructed on, there was a specific way they needed to pose in public if, if it was for a pitcher. And that was a, a way to identify that it was a, that someone had come up to them and said, you know, can I get my picture with you? Because what had happened somewhere is they, there were some pictures taken and then they, uh, they took them and put them into a calendar and sold this calendar for money. And it became this whole thing of like the player didn't know these pictures were being used for this calendar. And, you know, the NCAA got involved and stuff. So, and also like a really strict dress code too, like, um, he was saying, yeah, we, we didn't wear anything that was Badger related, like outside of going to class, you know, we, classes, it was, you know, jeans and a button down shirt and no logo stuff. I mean, you, you really want it to blend in. Um, so yeah, and, and, you know, we've probably, you've probably seen this too, but like we had relatives a year or two ago who left for social media or left on a trip and posted like, we're leaving on this date. They posted photos from the trip and all of that. Ah, that'll get you robbed real quick. <laughs> and I was thinking, it, it, wow, this is insane um, that you're, you're. I know exactly where you're going to be, and I know you're not going to be home. And I'm someone on, on on Facebook seeing this, and I know someone who you know breaks into places. Yeah, you're you're running that risk. You're blasting to the entire world. Hey, I'm not going to be home. Um, not a side happening. You know, I'll let you know when I get back where I was, but. Yeah. I'm not going to put it out there saying, hey, look, I'm going to be way far away from my home where there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, it is It is so crazy that, that people uh, that people do that. Um, so, yeah, you know, as, as you, I, I'm, I'm recommending to people, um, you know, to, to watch their social media profile. And then also, I, we've just seen this more, too, where corporations will pull that and look and say, you know, you posted this or you were even at like whatever type of rally and things like that. And I mean, I guess obviously people do have free speech and the ability to, to do things. But I mean, if, if you're, um, you know, wearing a, a shirt that has the company logo on it and you're holding up some sign that's, that's borderline, obviously that's not going to fly. Uh, so I think, I think that's something that people, I, I don't know if people are wising up to it or not, because I guess I haven't been on social. I haven't been on Facebook that much, but I do have acquaintances that, you know, very much are putting all these pictures out and also putting pictures out of family members and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, the, the things that might fit well in a context right now maybe don't fit well five years from now when the context has changed but then someone will pull back this picture and say you posted this or you posted whatever and we see that like all the time with um you know with people even one or two tweets that they might have put out there um and of course you have to own up to it um like the guy from the brewers yeah i, w I was just thinking about that um of posts that he had made 
when he was what in in high school and which really isn't you know what was what eight or ten years you know earlier but of course yeah needing to own up to that um and i actually um yeah know someone um in law enforcement that with some social media uh post um you know like 10 years ago had come forward and that person then uh, was separated from their employment by the city <laughs> because of because of these you know questionable posts and, and it was just one of those things where it's like whoa um so yeah to really to really weigh that out and you know i never post anything too that has a picture of my my kids on it you know that never goes um that never goes out um so let's um so i'm gonna i'm gonna shift a little more into my my lambo field account so so oh, yeah. there you go <laughs> Lambeau Field, and by the way, um, Charles, when I was when I was young and went to Lambeau Field, I mean, it was nothing like it was today. So, um, you know, it's a, multi, it's a billion dollar plus stadium in this, you know, yeah. 37 acres of, of development around it and, and just really nice. But back then, I mean, it was, it was. Back when James Lofton and James, you know, yeah, those guys were playing. Yeah. Yep. And they didn't even have a jumbotron, you know. So when the first jumbotron came in, um, and it was so grainy, and it was like a used one from you know wherever, you know, it was probably the size of a garage door, a single garage door. When you know today a jumbotron is you know 4K resolution and you know 180 feet long by 40 feet high or something. But I remember how excited we were. My brother and I were going to these games and being like, "Oh my God!" You know. It was like, you know, three colors that they would kind of mix together, almost this monochrome type thing and um, so state of the art. But um, but back then we would go to training camp and it was pretty accessible. I mean, uh, the you could go there as the players would walk across the street, you could walk with them. There really wasn't much for security. Um, and I went to, um, so when we were at, at training camp this past week, couple of weird things happened. One is I, I pulled into a, one of the main parking lots by Lambeau field. And, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of weird because, you know, training camp had just started. It was like one o'clock and this, this big parking lot only had like three other cars in it. So I'm thinking it's really bizarre. Like there should be, this whole thing should be, you know, packed. Um, but there were, um, they were taking down stadium or, or um, not stadiums, but um, like concert, like overhead um, platforms and stuff like that. So they must have had it like concerts there the night before in the parking lot. So all of that was being like disassembled and stuff. So we we pulled in and parked, and I was thinking from the safety perspective, I'm thinking this is this is weird, but maybe they just opened this lot up. So we go over and we're watching the players practice and things like that, and, which is pretty cool. And then when practice is done, uh, the, the players walk back and some of them get on bikes, like, you know, little dirt bikes and things like that. With, and they'll ride them back to the stadium that a kid, you know, has, has their bike. And it was also autograph day. So, like, you know, a lot of people are getting their autographs, player autographs. And I had a Green Bay Packer polo shirt on, like a, like a nice polo and, like, tan shorts so kind of like look the and a, and a visor i kind of look the role of like someone who might be working at some capacity with the team <laughs> and and um 
It's like a traitor or something. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you know, like, you know, whatever. Someone who came down, yeah, from the the stadium and was. So, and of course, you know, I'm, no one is going to probably think twice because I'm there with my wife and my my daughters and they both have on, you know, like Packer shirts or something. Um, And as the players start to walk back to the stadium, it narrows down where there's um, railed off areas on both sides and it's maybe about eight feet wide and, and the players and a couple of these, these kids, you know, that or the kids that they select out will go up and then people are on the outside of this more or less fenced in area. Though it's not like a chain link fence. It's, it's just, um, but anyway, um, we, we kind of got hustled into the main fray of everything because the players kind of swarmed around us and we're just walking normally like down the street. So they're on the left and right of us and we, we kind of got, funneled right into this main path that leads up into the stadium in the locker room. And I'm realizing, like, I'm looking left and right. I'm like, ooh, like, we shouldn't be here. So <laughs> not that this was bad. And we weren't, like, seeking uh, autographs. I didn't have my camera out. So I think we just look the part of, like, well, yeah, they must be related somehow to whatever. Or maybe this is someone that works up with, and they brought their kids and this day and they just want to have this experience so but about a hundred feet into this and literally um like next to us is clay matthews uh, <laughs> walking next to us and and you know some, some it, it was just it was just so funny because um i knew we shouldn't be there people are taking pictures of the players and we're like walking with with them at a kind of faster pace and and someone from the packers organization stops us and uh, says, you know, you're, you're, you're not supposed to be in this. And I'm like, I totally get it. Like, I understand. And we know we got, we got pushed into this. I'm like, I'm just trying to get the first exit out, you know, the first break in the fence. Like, we're out of here because I need to get back to the car. So they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so like 20 feet, 25 feet up ahead, there was a, a break where um, – one of their other employees was waiting there and then just, we smoothly just walked out. No big thing. Um, so I got back to the car and, um, ready to leave. And the entrance we came in is locked. Like they closed the gate and it's completely locked. And so I'm driving around and I'm going to drive around these, like, you know, the, where the concert was, they're taking down these, these, you know, platforms and stuff. And I'm like, totally realizing there's no way out of this because they have the bollards that are the big concrete bollards around the stadium. So you can't like get anywhere close to the stadium. And there's, there's basically the only way out was the way in. And finally, like, and we're dodging machinery and stuff like that. And, and finally, like I find someone in security and, and, uh, kind of, they, they come up to me in their, their golf cart and I roll down the window and the guy's just perplexed. He's like, kind of, what are you doing here? And I'm like, <laughs> I said, listen, like, we parked over here. The gate was open, and I can't get out of here. And he goes, oh, yeah, like, the gate was open just a little bit. We had a couple semis come in to load up some stuff, and he said, um, follow me. So, like, I'm following him, and we get <laughs> to this other part, and, and he gets us, gets us out. Um, but it was the strangest thing because – also from a safety perspective and not to knock on the Packers um, because of, you know, again, there are the bollards around the stadium and, 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 you know, there's, there's working. One of the things I know with some of the inside stuff I've been able to do with professional sports is there's 
uh, so much surveillance and so much monitoring that goes on that the public isn't even aware of. Um, so, you know, I knew obviously that we were being watched and, and all of those things. And if we would have just kept going around the parking lot, they would have eventually, you know, intervened with us. Um, but uh, it was it was just weird because from a safety perspective, it's one of those things where if you if you you have to have a very high situational awareness, but also if you portray like you should be somewhere like um, you, you, you can, that's, that's, for example, with a school, like people will say like the school has a buzzer system and they won't let anybody in and all of that. And I always say, well, I could probably get myself into any school anywhere. All I'd have to do is research like who was the principal superintendent or some, some names and maintenance and stuff, you know, cause they always lift their, list their staff directory put on a uniform and, um, you know, and just come in and say, like, I'm, I, I just, I'm over here to look at, like, HVAC or something like that, or I'm here to, I need to bring this whatever for Janice, you know, like, you know, into the building or something like that and drop this off. And people will always be like, boom, yeah, you're fine, you're legit, like, you're in. So um, it was just, it was weird because, like, I totally knew, like, we are breaching a lot of security areas, like, inadvertently. And probably because of the fact that we were just so innocuous as this this family. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but like Pittsburgh training camp, anything like that? Uh, nothing to my knowledge uh, like that. That is a that is a at least you have a story to tell the kids or some of the kids will remember when they get older. Um, yeah, nothing like that. Um, situational awareness in high school. I, yeah. Um, I had to walk through metal detectors. Uh, speaking of situational awareness, wow. there was a, uh, there was a when I was in eighth grade, there was a shooting at the high school. So they're like, "All right, high school, junior high, metal detectors," and bam. Um, mind you, this was you know, uh, <laughs> uh, um, it was it was just one of those reactionary things to hear school shootings. That, you know, right? Uh, um, again, um, in a in that context. Um, you can say, "Hey, I'm doing afternoon sports. I can still sneak a burner into the in my, into my locker." Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, even though we had every day, every single day, someone, you know, we're, we're going through metal detection and all that. Um, mind you, this is back in high school. Someone could have could have snuck, snuck something in anyway. Uh, Would say I had detention after school, or someone's kind of picked me up, or I got to run to my locker real quick, and then they hand someone something and they stuck it in there um, again. It's um, it was it would have been like a, a a an off hours type of thing where everything is lax. It's not during the school day or before, or just before or just prior. So uh, you know, that's probably the closest experience I would have um, in in terms of that kind of uh, um, security setting and how easily you can get around it, you know, inadvertently or you know, purposefully. So tell me, I mean, just from your, from your life, something um, that, you know, you were either proximal to that was, you know, like a safety crisis or else, you know, some situation, um, again, you know, kind of like what, what you're talking to. Maybe like you inadvertently got access to something that you shouldn't have gotten access to, or even in the IT world, maybe like, you know, you're working on something and, and and you're like, oh my goodness! Like all these these files um, are on this drive, and they shouldn't be here at all because like everybody has access to this, and these are like HR things, and like who in the world would have put these here? I mean, 
tell me about maybe like a couple aha moments like you've had like that and how you've reacted and in, in, in those. Hmm. Aha moments. Um, well, in, in, in IT, we, we would get, um, just random questions of, you know, I used to be able to access this and you go look up their account and you're like, wait a minute, you know, when did you get access to this? <laughs> right. Oh, so, Oh, this is why I was in X department. I'm a Y department. I was like, listen, um, you know how they, you know how they are about this. I'm surprised they haven't got caught yet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and, uh, and, and, um, you know, I'll remove your access before anything happens because, uh, yeah, uh, even though you were in this department, we'll say, you know, you moved from accounting to uh, somewhere, you, uh, you moved on up. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you shouldn't have, you know, invoices, accounts payable, items, you know, receivable items. No, you, you don't see that anymore. Why do you even have access to this? And you're complaining that, you, uh, that something's going wrong when you try to access it. There's a problem. You shouldn't even have access to it in the first place. Uh, just as as a as a work related example, uh, again, you you have a lot of turnover in companies that people move on uh, into different departments. So uh, you know when their roles change, access has changed. And if you had access to you know um, compromising, I guess information, um, uh, once you leave that department, you can't get it. So. Uh, Again, that's that's been a general rule in my professional career. Um, no matter what company you are, you're going to have those kind of situations. So uh, that's the closest thing I can say. Hey, look, ooh, big security risk because, uh, yeah, you shouldn't even see these. Yeah, and has someone ever come to you and say like, "Hey, I'm I have access to things like I'm not sure I should have access to." Like, never. Has any, never. Never. Okay. No, <laughs> you you end up you end up finding out. Really, yo. Know, it's so rare that people come because they still have this access. They're going to be like, Hey, look, you know, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell anybody, uh, I can still do X, Y, Z. So we usually root them out instead of them coming to us. Okay. Because I, I knew somebody, um, in, it was in a school setting and they had access to, a. actually everybody, some, there was some mistake, but everybody had access to a drive with personal information shared on it. Um, for all employees. And it was one person who, yeah, brought it up to IT and said, listen, this is here now and it's been here for a while and I can go in and I can see everybody's like birth date and address and stuff like that. And they're like, what? <laughs> and then, yeah, somehow, um, but it was one of those things too, where it had been there for quite a while. So it was a question of, you know, who had this information and, and ideally like no one would have done anything with it, but you never know, or someone would have just copied it or just something crazy like, oh, this is great because now we know what everybody's birthday is so we can send out an email or, I mean, just whatever. Um, so, Charles, as we as we kind of get into wrap-up mode, let's talk about um, transitioning from one job to another. Um, tell me how that worked for you and specifically also um, a non-disclosure agreement, um, what that is, because I'm not sure everybody who's listening to this is going to understand what a NDA is. And if, if when you do bring it up, they might think, Ooh, like when I was hired 10 years ago, I'm not sure if I signed an NDA. I'm not sure if it's in the staff handbook. Um, and I'll preface this a little bit in saying, you know, sometimes when people leave one job to go to another, they'll take a 
some information with them, so maybe some projects that, that they've worked on. Um, they'll download it on, you know, the thumb drive and whatever, not necessarily in a malicious way, but just because like I worked on this project and this PowerPoint and these things, and I'm moving into a field where I'm going to be able to use some of these types of things to help me in, in that, um, you know, which of course you're going to tell me why you shouldn't do that. But, um, but I think that happens quite a bit where people try to harvest things that they feel that they've worked on and they don't realize, well, it's proprietary. You worked on that as an employee. You just can't walk out the door with it. Um, and then also what that might mean for ramifications if all of a sudden, you know, some of that showing up or some client information that you're taking with you somewhere else. So how did that work for you, you know, with transitioning from one employer to another? Uh, I'll tell you what, this is this is a uh, situation to me. I've never been in a position where I've had something and something else came up. I was always, um, you know, out of work looking for a job. Uh, but to preface that, um, you brought up the NDA, the good old non-disclosure agreement. Um, they're pretty much standard fare, especially in IT anymore. Uh, no matter what company you go to, you say, hey, whatever you worked on stays here and does not leave. It's almost like... Um, if you're working for a corporation and you research um, something for a patent on the corporation's time, that doesn't belong to you. Your name's on it, but it's not your patent. It's the corporation's patent, and you sign those agreements um, uh, just to uh, um, – it's the corporation saying, hey, I don't want this guy taking this stuff and going to another competitor, and, and there's legal ramifications surrounding that. Um, the same in IT in any non-disclosure agreement. Um, you you occasionally, if you're in, if you stay in one sector and non-compete clauses and all this stuff, they'll work for competitors or whatever. Um, in my case, it's different because I'm bouncing from one uh, one industry to a completely different industry. Um, there, uh, therefore, the NDAs really don't um, wouldn't apply to my personal situation, but you still sign them anyway. Uh, just be aware of what you do on a job and what you can and cannot take. Um, you can take your skills with you, but you can't take projects with you, for example. Um, let's say you're a developer. Uh, you're not bringing one code from one company to another, but you can bring your skills and the coding for that company over. Um, again, it's um, uh, it's just uh, a, a, a thing of common sense. Just know what, you're, just know what you can bring. Know what... Um, know what you can divulge outside of the organization. Um, again, it's a judgment call. Just use your best judgment and, uh, again, use common sense in that area. Um, so, yeah, uh, this whole this whole moving jobs thing is new to me. Um, I was actually approached uh, by the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center for a position. Uh, I, worked them, I worked with them under the contract um, prior to U.S. Steel. And they came at me and said, hey, we got this position. You want to talk about it? There was no no interview, no nothing. Uh, it was it was going oh. from, yeah, it was, it, they were familiar with me already. So it wasn't like I was, you know, applying blind. Um, so, yeah, they came at me and said, hey, we have this we have this spot open for you. Do you want it? And it, it happened quickly. Uh, I had to make a decision. Do I want to stay or go? Hey, let me let me throw this by. Did, did, um, did, HR ever come to you at your time at U.S. Steel and say, um, or, or, or let, let me put it this way, an employee is leaving and they say, 
did they ever come to you and say, we want to, we want to shut down their email at five o'clock today or their access to, you know, any external access, or we also want to know if they've, what they've been accessing the last week or two. Has that ever happened? Or like anyone that you know, has that ever in the field has told you about that of like, you know, HRs approach them and, and how they've kind of just exited people out or how do you think even that's happening for you? Like they're, cause I'm sure you can log into all your stuff remotely to a point and then how do they, how do they end that? Thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Oh, in terms of my, I'm done. Um, I, I have no equipment. I'm sure my accounts are active, but, um, you know, you leave, you leave a place, you surrender any equipment, you know, whether laptops, tablets, phones. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure my account is active at least until about probably, oh, 8.30 tomorrow morning when um, the IT teams get their emails, say, hey, uh, these people would love the company to disable their stuff. Okay. So, so that's, uh, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah, that it, 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 it's it's common policy at the majority of the companies. If someone leaves, their access is, uh, you know, they don't get it. Um, uh, it would be a miracle if they still had access um, after leaving the company in any capacity whatsoever. I remember um, one university I had had taught for for a couple of years, and then once I I left, and that was that was adjunct i mean but once i had left um they never deactivated my account um so i was able to go into the university library which was which was great because i could pull off research papers um and i mean it was for more personal interest i wasn't turning any any of that into profit or doing research for anybody but (laughs) but it was one of these weird things where it was and then finally like one day a year and a half later my login didn't work um and but yeah, they they had kept me in the system, uh, and and I was I was pretty surprised by that because I thought they would have some way to expunge my stuff or or immediately disable it. But I mean, there wasn't anything I could access um, that that could bring any harm or any data or things like that. But I, I had access to the library, which was phenomenal because usually um, the university libraries. I mean, I'm sure what you'll have access to um, through working with a university affiliated. Um, hospital it was just going to be phenomenal um so let me let me throw this past you kind of in in closing something that i've seen as a trend in expert witness request and this is something i've brought to the awareness of um people who have worked who work or have worked in the fbi um uh, personal 
um, security lawyers uh, all across the country. I've kind of worked through my network on this, and everyone is like, ooh, I don't have a good answer for that. So here's, here's a scenario that seems to be playing out more and more in corporate America. So um, somebody is, is let go. So they're, you know, they, they notify someone. And, and here's, here's the deal. They let somebody go um, because they, they say, um, we, you're under investigation for contributing to a hostile work environment. Something like that. It's something, it's not, you know, like, you know, you've, you've embezzled or something where we're calling the police, but it's something which is very subjective where, um, you know, they'll say, yeah, whatever, a hostile work environment. And you'll be like, well, well, what? And, it, you know, it could be that you, um, that they don't exactly tell you either. So that's the thing that people are trying to figure out, well, what is it? What, what did I do or what didn't I do? Did I say something at a meeting? Did I not respond um, in a way that people would have felt, you know, was there something going on globally at work that I didn't participate in or, or what am I, you know, what's going on here? So what's happening is people are being um, told that, okay, you are on leave and all of your email files, everything are like frozen. You have access to nothing during the investigation. And then typically they're offered, um, to resign or they're offered to have a due process through the company type of hearing of like how they've contributed to a hostile work environment and things like that. And most people will never want to do that because those things then stick with you. I mean, that follows you versus just resigning from the, the company. So I see this more on this, obviously I work on the education side with this, but it, happening in the school setting um, where Again, let's say it's some principles or something like that, um, and they are told, you know, you're you're on leave, you can't access anything, um, and the problem comes up then. That, so they reach out to an attorney, and and they say, listen, this has just happened to me, and you know, I I don't want to leave my job, but um, what do I do in this case? And the attorneys then ask, well, they try to figure out what the claim is against them. Um, and then the the person who's put on leave, let's say, again, say it's the school administrator principal, they don't have any records. They can't say like, well, here's an email that I sent out to staffs um, indicating that I, that I think might have caused this, or here's like, I, I brought this up to the superintendent, making them aware um, of some issues that were going on or whatever. So they have like nothing in their defense. They have, they have nothing to defend themselves with because all of their documents are froze. So it becomes, it, it's a scary tactic. Um, and it's one of these things where I've been asked a few times, like how to help people through this. And I can't offer any advice. And, um, Again, I'll, I brought it through my circles, and I'm thinking, oh, someone's going to know how to respond to this, and they'll say, "Well, you know, like the the under the people who are, <laughs> you know, one of my friends in the FBI said, well, you could run like a Taurus browser, and you could save, you could like back up things and have it available to you, but of course, and of course, you're breaching the NDA and some of these things." 
So you're to lose, lose no matter what. Um, so that's, that's something too, that I, that I'm kind of freaked out about right now. And I don't know from an IT perspective, if, if you have seen this or you have any recommendations. Um, so, you know, again, um, it's, it's, it, it seems to be an extreme situation, by the way, although I'm sure it happens. Uh, oh yeah. With IT access, we take it away. Good luck. You know, we take your assets away. That's it. You know, yeah. we control that. So, uh, and again, with the whole NDA thing, there really isn't a good way out of that particular situation. The first thing you said, lawyer up, go see a lawyer. That's the best I can do for you. And you probably have to go through some legal processes to, you know, probably get subpoenaed, try to get that inf- you know, information subpoenaed by a judge and and whatever have you. Again, there's no good way out of it. Um, yeah. You're going to have to let, you know, the legal system do its thing. And, and again, I'm at a loss. But, again, you get that – we take away that information is you know, is IT. Um, yeah, you're not getting that access, and we're not going to give it to you unless we're being forced to. So, uh, yeah, again, that, that's not, you know, a good so, you know, a good situation to be in in the first place. Um, again, I don't have an answer except lawyer up and hope for the best. Yeah, and that's kind of where I've been at um, with now. I mean, we're in summer, so we've had a little bit of a hiatus on this, but it was really pretty prevalent in spring. Like there were, uh, and again, I'm contacted from across the country. So I guess, you know, relatively speaking in any one area, this probably isn't happening much. But on a whole, it it, it was something I hadn't seen at all. Um, and there was there was some reason, there was something that, that was also shared with um, HR was giving more ability to freeze records during an investigation. I think just within the last year is some extension of like the Patriot Act or something. I, I, I don't know. I have, to, I have to go back to my notes on that, but it was something kind of like that you've just confirmed. Um, and, and the hard part on that is if you're an employee and it's something where you feel it's totally blindsides you, you haven't you know done anything um, in, in the, the wrong, or at least you, if you want to, you know, point out things that you've, you've done emails, presentations, um, you know, they could say like you, you haven't properly given professional development to whatever. And you could say, well, yeah, I've, I've tried to, I document it three times. I tried to contact them to provide this, this training and, you know, but then here they, they, didn't participate they didn't set up a time with me and all of a sudden yeah they let somebody into the building that shouldn't have been in the building because they didn't participate in the safe perimeters training and now that's on me but like i did my due diligence here and was trying to do it um but yet like they can't prove that because they don't have the dates and so it it gets it's it's really that's a scary thing um but i think what you've done is you've just reinforced kind of um what I was, what I'm seeing in that, and then also the point of, um, you know, don't try to work your way around this by like making copies of everything you do at work, <laughs> and putting them on thumb drives or sending them off to your your home, you know, email account and all of these things because oh yeah, <laughs> you're violating you. an NDA and, and that'll get tracked down and and all of these things and um, and somehow this will get resolved. I don't know what is ex- is exact. What is exactly going? I think a lot of it is, is frankly, you know, politically motivated in some cases, um, 
which is just seems to be a, a trend that's happening nationwide right now. Um, but, uh, but kind of some scary, some scary stuff. Uh, you know, um, the, the guy, Scott Adams, who produces the Dilbert comic strip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listened to, to Scott's, um, podcast and, and he said, you know, in the last couple of years, he's, he's really had to be careful of what he's put out in social media. Um, you know, because of also the, the perception of, of people and how that's, how that's, um, impacted, um, his ability to stay marketable, you know, not only like of newspapers having his, his comic strip, but also his, you know, he would do corporate presentations and all of that. And, and as soon as people think you're starting to take some positionality on something, um, you know, they kind of shut that down and, he was saying um, specifically that he was talking about how different people in leadership positions use persuasion. So he was defining persuasion, and he was defining it specifically um, with President Trump and persuasive um, techniques that the president was using, specific ones that he was identifying. And then he was doing others too, but he was saying, you know, people were taking that as, as you're taking a political agenda. And then he says, no, no, I'm just talking, I'm talking about persuasion and how persuasion works in the media. And this was one example and whatever, but um, I don't know exactly where I was going, but I think it's one of those things too, where we've talked about the low profile and we've talked about, um, you know, separating work out from non-work environments and, um, but yeah, one of the things I just wrote on my in my notes, and I'm teaching again this this um, law class for school uh, superintendents, is that I am going to get into that non-disclosure agreement and make sure that they're very apprised of that. And then, of course, you know, a lot of these people are working at home, you know, as well as working at work, um, you know, in the work setting, or or they have. They're telecommuting or things like that, so it gets pretty easy to commingle files um, and stuff like that. So I, I guess as we close, uh, Charles, tell me about like people working at home. Were they issued laptops, or did they have like some different? Um, I, I mean, it's one thing if you're at the physical site, but if you're working off-site, how does how does that work for security, like for IT security? Oh, uh, I, I just want to say, first of all, that I'm glad I don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. <laughs> um, um, Yay! Um, it is an inordinate pain to have to deal with remote users. Um, primarily from our standpoint of support, we're not, we can't, we're not right there to help you. Um, yes, um, you know, by and large, um, everywhere that I've been that people work remote, um, They've been issued corporate laptops, and you know they would have uh, they would have VPN access um, to the company's network, which is uh, um, if you're using uh, the way everything's structured, it is the only the corporate laptop can see the uh, can see the corporate network when you're on VPN. Um, okay. So there's no mix and match of personal versus you're not. I'm not using my laptop to VPN into the company. Uh, to do work. No, I'm on a company-issued laptop. Um, again, uh, remote uh, remote work, it is very difficult. I, I give help desk people uh, credit for having to deal with that. Um, they're on the front lines of people calling in, even even within a company. 
they're calling in. The help desk guys aren't running to your desk to help you. They're trying to help you remotely over the phone. Um, I do not envy that position. I, me personally, I'd rather be there. Um, right. uh, again, uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm leaving that part of the, uh, part of my profession, uh, being as when you're in a clinical and hospital environment, you're there, there's no remote travel. You're in a hospital. Everything is self-contained, which is, which is great for me. Uh, I'll take that any day. Uh, not to disparage remote, uh, working from home. Uh, I envy those who have the ability to do that. I just don't. <laughs> so, um, again, it, it's a tougher animal um, supporting uh, remote users, especially if you can't connect to their own system, say they can't even get in, uh, trying to talk their, trying to talk your way through some sort of process to troubleshoot is, uh, uh, boy, um, it's an experience unto itself, and you better hope it works. Um, <laughs> else they're going to have to come in and we'll have to look at it that way. Uh, again, it's the industry uh, within healthcare. I don't have to worry about that, but it is, it should be more prevalent, even though I've heard stories of uh, companies uh, kind of reining that in for whatever reason. But um, I think that's going to be the trend going forward. So again, good luck to those who do remote support. I do not envy you at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I, I, I can just imagine uh, the challenges inherent to that. So um, just to, to wrap up what we've talked about today, and I th this has been an incredible uh, discussion, and I've been waiting to have Charles on the show uh, for a long time, and it's, it's been scheduling, um, and we've had some vacations, and the, the system went down in uh, my studio here and, and had to do some, some things. So very glad um, that it worked out. And this has been a terrific discussion. So just just topping off the points that we went over. So we talked about uh, the safety culture at U.S. Steel, specific in um, the research center, but also the entire department getting together monthly to have a debriefing out on safety. You know, what's been happening from the, the statistics side of things. Um, it, was there any significant event if so, what happened, what was the investigation of it, and then what changed? Very important, and I think anybody working out there um, in any industry that has a role in, in, in management, um, take this to heart. Especially, I talk to schools a lot. Schools don't do this. They really need to, to do this. The, um, another part we got into was economic safety from a personal perspective, meaning... Um, pursuing certifications. If your company pays for that, puts that opportunity out there for, the, for you, go for it. And then also, you know, side hustles. Always have money coming in, doing different things, uh, because if you can get to the point where you can pay off a mortgage um, earlier, you know, that's more money for you to apply toward retirement and just remove yourself from the corporate world or, you know, being totally um, at the whim of, of somebody else, you know, as far as employment. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked about social media and keeping a low profile. Both Charles and I aren't Facebook users, have not been for a number of years, but there are so many people who are, are uh, really addicted to social media. And um, they just, they, they've come out with the World Health Organization in the last year identified video game addiction as a formal medical diagnosis 
And actually that's showing up in schools this fall also. So you'll have some students who will be diagnosed as addicted to video games. And I'm not sure what that looks like as far as treating that. But, um, but you know, whatever you post online um, is going to follow you. And not only that, in real time, employers are getting much more savvy at going through and checking, you know, what, what are employees posting, especially employees who are interacting with the public. I gave my example of working with the banker who I just tried to bring up um, some basic credentials on this, this person. Um, and I, you know, I typed in that person plus the bank. I mean, it wasn't anything where I was, was going into the dark web or anything like that. And immediately this Facebook page pops up um, that has, you know, this person holding a beer and yes, they work at this bank and some other stuff that, that was pretty unflattering to that person and also professionally. I'm sure that their employment would have either been terminated or they would have been told immediately to change that. Um, and just like, how much do you want people to know about you? Uh, that's the other thing. I mean, you put this stuff out there and people start to triangulate. You know, well, you tend to go these places at this time and, you know, you, you put out that you're on vacation and stuff like that. And, um, and we, we, had a, we had a great discussion in wrapping up about this transitioning between employers and you know that that happens a lot now it's very frequent for people to almost you know be in this free agency of of employment and we're in a very um employment friendly um situation right now where if you have skill sets you know like you have charles you know people are going to come after you especially if you've worked for them and they they know the work that you've done and, and make you an offer um, so we talked about how you transition from one employer to another, but then also this whole thing of the, the NDA or the non-disclosure agreement. And I know it's very big in your world, but I'll tell you, um, when we talked about it today, that was the first time I've heard about that in an education context. Like, I've, I, I haven't heard about that at all. Like, no one ever talks about that. Um, and the other part is this whole thing of the days of um, working on some things on your home computer or saving things to a thumb drive and taking them home and whatever. Or if you leave the company that, well, I worked on some of these projects, so I'm going to take these with me because I might do something similar. And here's my template already I can harvest from. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> and, you know, the ramifications that you can have from doing something like that which I think maybe five or 10 years ago was probably almost even encouraged by some companies. Um, I remember one of the places I worked at 10, about 10 years ago, maybe 12, they installed on my work computer a program, I think it was called like Team Viewer or something like that. And basically I could log in from home on my home computer and access all of my work files so I could, um, you know, because honestly the job included a lot of stuff. It was salaried, so you're working a lot of stuff at home too. And that type of stuff today I don't think would fly nearly to the level it did back then. It was just an expectation. But at the same time, I could have easily harvested or what if I have a virus or what if my system gets corrupted now that that information gets harvested right off of you know this entire organization i'm working for <laughs> it's like who downloaded the the thing that said you know don't open <laughs> you know that who who, who, who double clicked on that and opened that file and in, infected the entire system but um 
So yeah, these are these are all really salient points, and I, I want to come back. I mean, just the one that hits me. I mean, all these are big, but the one that really hits too is this economic person, this personal economic safety. You've done an excellent job of it, and of diversifying yourself through credentials, which can never be taken away from you, and holding your your IT into also the marketing side and understanding your reputation in that. Like for example, like eBay, like if someone sees that you are a seller and you have a hundred percent and the comments that people put like fast shipping, you know, item was as described. I mean, this is all reputation building and um, using professional networks like LinkedIn and things like that. So you've really done a good job with that. And this is something where I think people can either just get stagnant, you know, they're comfortable in their, their, their position um, or they have things offered to them like the company is willing to do things and they're like, no, you know, I'm going to pass on that. And they, they, they are really leaving a lot of great opportunities um, kind of on, on the side of the road. They're, they're not taking advantage of it. And these things of, of diversifying and these side hustles and things like that um, just make you so much more economically resilient in a, a safety situation of a recession, something you know significant happens in, in the world. I mean, something uh, earthquake in California, you know, major earthquake, and we have a devastation, something, and an economic economic downturn for you know a number of years. Um, also, the fact of uh, you know changing um, that you have jobs open up and you can look and say, I've I've honed my skill set, so I'm a candidate for this other job also being able to take your skills. So those are great things. Um, we, we listen to Aaron Clary. I know Aaron will, will talk about, you know, people going into the military. And if, if you're in the military, taking advantage of, you know, the different certifications that are presented because they're usually pretty plentiful. I had a friend who was in the Navy and he took anything that they threw by him. Like, they're like, you know, do you want to be certified in whatever? And he's like, yes, I'll take it. And, and whatever, whatever. And then he also had his GI bill. Um, and he, um, got training in IT and has worked for two companies since he's been out, but he's been out 20 years and just always talks about anytime any opportunity was put before him, he never said no. He always took advantage of the training or the opportunity, you know, the, those those things uh, because he knew somewhere down the line that that would, that would benefit him versus the easy, the easy way out of saying, no, I'm not going to do it. So um, anything, anything you want to, anything you want to, share with us before we wrap up today oh man uh i think we we covered quite a lot um i don't think i have anything left in the tank and uh yeah uh orientation day tomorrow is the new job so uh okay <laughs> we got that going on um yeah uh like i said uh i'm, I'm glad to uh, have been on with you and just to uh discuss all these seemingly unrelated topics, but in a way they're all interrelated um, in terms of both work and life. So it was good to you know, see you know, discuss a broad spectrum of, uh, of topics like that. I feel the same way. And also your background in IT um, is, is something that hasn't presented itself on my podcast. So your perspective on this um, changes my perspective on, on the topics that we talked about. So thank you so much again, um, Charles Mack, our guest today on the Safety Doc podcast. And Charles, go Steelers, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's about that time. No baseball season. The Buccos are actually making moves. So uh, uh, the Pirates are doing their thing to be relevant. So my eyes are on them right now. All right. I'm, I'm still holding out for the Brewers, the best record in the uh, National League, um, but uh, not in first place, still trailing the Cubs. But um, I will take it because I remember the 82 World Series when I was a kid and how exciting that was. So, <laughs> my goodness, I want that again sometime, one more time. So at least, at least you didn't have 20 straight losing seasons. No, no. And sometimes I have to I have to learn my my Harry Carey, like Ryan Dempster did a great Harry Carey. I always love that. Will Farrell used to do that Harry Carey on Saturday Night Live too. But um, all right. Well, th- again, uh, thank you so much for being on the show and wishing you the very best in your new position. All right. Thank you very much. The Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.